Welcome to another episode of CamCast. Now, before we get started with today's conversation, I'm really excited to share with you that we'll be recording some really special content for CamCast live at CamCon London on September the 9th, 2021. CamCon is hosted by friend of the show Alex Raymond and the team at Capta and gives Cam professionals the chance to hear from a lineup of expert speakers, industry voices who are going to be sharing innovative ideas, proven methodologies and and personal experiences. CamCon brings together leaders in account management from multiple industries to connect, learn, and grow. It's going to be a great day, and as listeners of CamCast, you have the option to get a 20% discount off the ticket price. So just head over to camguru.com forward slash CamCon, or click the link in the show notes. This event is all about professional cam for cam professionals, so don't miss out. Camcast, key account management made easy. What kind of salesperson are you? What is your natural selling style? Do you deploy an intentional methodology to maximize the impact of your interactions? Or are you just winging it along the way, relying on personality to build those relationships with key contacts? The evolution of an account manager over the decades has taken us on a bit of a journey. Wind the clock back 50 years and the gift of the gab was enough to see you into a meeting with a key decision maker armed with a bag full of good stories and friendly chat. Your products could be sold on the dazzling features of the solution, peppered with light-hearted humour to entertain your prospect into submission. By the 1980s, the marketplace was seeing a new breed of sales representatives and sales executives. They polished up their presentation skills to become the informer, the educator, and the ambassadors for their wares. Their projection skills were on point, and their ability to bring products to life while selling the features, the advantages, and the benefits were second to none. The issue boiled down to listening. They were so good at waiting to speak that they'd forgot to pause and listen. When a client had the audacity to interrupt them, they would quickly be shot down by a range of techniques and gimmicks inspired by books like How to Develop a Killer Instinct or 101 Different Ways to Overcome an Objection. The 80s sales arena really was the home of manipulation, coercion and persuasion and selling for many started to become a very dirty word. In a bid to move away from the boiler room sales tactics of old and the greasy salespeople that were giving a legitimate profession a bad name, account managers began to focus on a primary ingredient of the relationship dynamic. If all businesses existed to solve a problem, then account managers needed to become problem solvers. The shift saw a development of a much softer, more skillful, consultative selling approach with an emphasis on problem solving and a full understanding of the customer's needs, concerns and aspirations through well-crafted open questions, active listening and summarising skills. Unlike their predecessors, problem solvers had shown a genuine interest in the customer's business. So it took over 30 years for the gossiping entertainer who liked talking about others to evolve into the boring informer who liked talking about themselves to then evolve into the consultative problem solver who had finally learned the value of talking to the customers about the customers. So what next? 
How do the problem solvers of the 90s and the noughties transition from the consultative selling world of the efficient supplier to the transformational space of the effective business partner? A world where account managers are collaborative, not just competitive. They understand the customer's world. They focus on the front end of the sales process and not the back end where closing belongs. They talk about the return on investment and not products and services. They say relatively little as the customer is doing most of the talking. They position themselves as trusted advisors. They work with customers' interests in mind as well as their own. They play it long, understanding that genuine relationships take time. They understand what customers' expectations are. They follow up and they stay connected, even if they do not win the business. They realize they need to be in the customer's heart, not in their face. To truly win in today's world of key account management requires an intentional approach to the relationship and to understand the nuances of operating in today's modern marketplace and customer dynamics. We need to reframe our thinking and challenge some of the norms. To quote my guest on Camcast today, we need to make shift happen. Chris Ortolano is a sales process consultant at Outbound Edge. With an IT and accounting background, Chris has worked for publicly traded private companies as well as inside sales teams at fast-growing startups. He's now focused on designing and testing what he calls product tours to increase stakeholder engagement. They're interactive click-through demos that cams can use to create a white-glove customer experience before, during, and after meetings. On today's episode, Chris shared with me his thoughts on the role of a key account manager in today's world, how we can understand and manage the different preferences of contacts in a meeting, and how to foster a collaborative problem-solving conversation with clients to become more of a facilitator in roundtable discussions. Welcome to Camcast. I'm your host, David Ventura, a key account management consultant at camguru.com. In this podcast, we explore the strategies, systems, and skills you need for effective key account management. We talk to expert guests and business leaders, sharing the tips, tactics, and techniques for looking after your most important customers. This is Key Account Management Made Easy. One of the biggest challenges in today's world of key account management is that is getting key account managers to move away from the consultative selling approach that I would say belongs to the efficient supplier and move more towards the transformational selling style of that effective partner. And for many of the account managers that we work with, they are relied upon, I guess, by their customers to be the trusted advisors. They, they're relied upon to be the experts in their field. And, and customers are going to be looking at them to be guided, to be enlightened and even challenged when it comes to finding the right solutions to solve problems. So what is the best way to assertively hold that position of the credible expert so that you can build the relationship with your key account contacts, communicate effectively and demonstrate your value whilst, and this is so important and often not looked at, whilst avoiding the risks of overcomplicating the message, patronizing your contacts and alienating a client who perhaps just has a completely different set of communication preferences. Today on Camcast, I'm delighted to be joined by Chris Ortolano, who's the principal and founder at Outbound Edge. Chris, welcome to Camcast. David, thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be on Camcast with you. I'm excited to dive into these topics. 
Great to have you with us. Uh, you're dialing in today from Portland, Oregon, all the way across the pond in the US of A. Uh, Chris, tell us a bit about you and Outbound Edge. So five years ago, a trend known as sales acceleration or sales development took off using data and process to essentially create an outbound experience oriented towards bringing decision makers to evaluate products and services. Now, what we're trying to do is elevate that to something much more interactive, much more focused on problem solving. And we're using something that's really exciting called product tours, which I'll share with you in a little bit, to essentially create a pre-demo experience at the top of the funnel. I love the idea of product tours. I know we've spoken about this already, so I'd love the listeners to hear a little bit more about that. Um, One of the things that anyone that's seen you on LinkedIn or perhaps come across your work before will know and will have seen your strap line, which of course is make shift happen, which is a lovely little phrase. Tell us a bit more about that. How did it come about? What's the mission that you find yourself on? So many of us are constrained by routines and behaviors that are governed by silos and hierarchies inside our organization that creates an immense amount of inefficiency. So I started essentially an open forum, an interview series, where I used business cases, real case studies, to challenge decision makers to rethink what it means to work across your silo or domain and make decisions in a more collaborative process. That has led me to rethink what we're doing at the top of the funnel in terms of engaging buyers on their terms not ours. I love this idea of rethinking because, you know, it's something that you say, I know on your website as well, is that collaborative sales starts by rethinking old assumptions. And we're all guilty of doing that, aren't we? We are all guilty of, you know, doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. You know, as Einstein would say, that's the definition of insanity. I think I love this idea of rethinking old assumptions. We've spoken before about the role of a key account manager in today's world. I know you've got some interesting thoughts and ideas on that. Just just talk us through, you know, what you see as the role of a key account manager in today's modern marketplace. Yeah, thanks. Um, you know, in an era of change, we cannot just show up and repeat what's happened in the past. We can't just review the last 90 days and assume that the status quo will maintain. We have to be more strategic in our approach. So one hat, one part strategic account manager, and this is really a function of facilitation. Our credibility lies in bringing good ideas to the table and facilitating a conversation. Now, many of those conversations are going to be technical in nature. You may not have all the technical expertise, but you have to serve as a technical account manager and liaison that is introduce your own subject matter experts when needed. When you marry those two together, you also need to wear a third hat, and that is of the project manager. The project manager keeps all the moving parts going together, bringing the right people together at the right time so that the problems can be solved in a timely fashion. So it's all about you know strategic account management, technical account management, and project management. And as you say, bringing all those moving parts and I guess facilitating those things together, right? Well, if you if you think back to what we said about silos and hierarchies, many people don't know the priorities of the folks that they're working with. And this may be due to things like poor definition of terms, right? So one of the things that we'll start with is just a glossary. What is the glossary of terms that we're going to be using throughout the next hour to week or two? And you know how funny it is? Many people have different understandings of the same set of terms. So we got to create a bridge or common ground, and that's usually where I start. 
That's such a powerful idea there, creating a glossary of terms, because you're right, we have so many different definitions for words that get used so often. And, you know, perhaps that's the first step of really building rapport with someone is essentially talking the same language. It's talking about certain words and certain things in the same way as the other person does. We talk about rapport. Rapport is one of those things, actually, if it was to appear in the glossary, in fact, let let me ask you this. You know, let's put rapport in our own glossary right now and give it a definition. What does rapport mean? What is rapport to you, Chris? Rapport is the ability to understand the people who are in the room you're having a conversation with. It's not news, sports, weather. It's not just icebreakers. We all have different communication styles. We all bring different assumptions into that room. So rapport is about getting people to open up by introducing things about their industry, mentioning something about the business, and even their individual role to get them to tell you how they think. In my opinion, that's the first step of establishing a white glove experience. You have to understand how people think, and you need to be strategic about rapport. Don't miss that opportunity by just chit-chatting about the game. So rapport obviously being one side, one part understanding another and 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 getting that information so that you can at a later point or at that same moment use it in order to build rapport, though. So how would we define that? How do you build rapport? And I have my own simple definition of this. Maybe I'll, I'll share that with you. I, I believe in order to build rapport, you have to create something. And the, and the thing that you have to create is a feeling of commonality. So we, we are trying to create a feeling for each party that we have something in common. And by the way, we don't have to have anything in common, right? We just have to create the feeling that we do. So that, I think, speaks to your point of understanding the other person so that you can glean all of that important information and then use it. What, what would you say around building rapport? How do we go about building rapport? So the first thing I'm trying to do is identify who seems more extroverted and who seems more introverted. Mm -hmm. And that may not always be clear, but typically uh, the introverts are a little less talkative. And so what I want to do is I want to bring the conversation over to them and say, hey, Jill, what do you think? Or have you considered? Or what if? And by introducing what if scenarios, I can start to pull the introverts into the conversation and then go back and bring that same question across the table. So when I work across the table, it means that I need to include every single person in the Zoom or in the room, in the conversation. And that rapport is the function of everyone having a conversation together, not just two or three people dominating. Yeah. And because there is always a thing, isn't there, about the more dominant person in the room and whether that be the more extroverted person or not. I, no, and I believe that the introversion extroversion scale is a is a complex scale actually and many of us would class ourselves to be more ambivert than either introvert or extrovert in other words we sit somewhere in the middle of that spectrum and different situations can lend themselves to more of our extroversion tendencies or introvert uh, tech, uh, tendencies we have to be a bit more of a challenger in these conversations rather than the long sort of monotonous interrogation that you might see in some of the more solutions-oriented discovery process. Right now, the discovery is considered a liability when it goes on too long. Mm, Yeah. So the question is, 
how can you use that rapport to set the stage for them to tell you? You have to come up with a couple of scenarios, in my opinion, a couple of what if scenarios that are related to what you do, that are that are certainly influenced by your product or service, but it can also be indirect as well. What if there was a sort of a limit to the supply chain that you're using to build your 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 widgets? How would you react to that? Well, this is a true scenario for many of us in the U.S. right now. We're limiting access to things like lumber, raw materials, technology, and we have to respond to that. When you come to the table with those types of questions, you build rapport because it's not about you. It's about real world. Just before we started recording today, you you started talking about getting into the white space. Tell us a bit more about that because these what-if type questions do invite your contacts invite your client into a new space and uh, you know when when you talked about it before and perhaps you can uh, expand on it for us i visualized it as a real space you know a, a, a room where we can go and co-create and explore together tell us a bit more about the white space chris yeah so i had an opportunity recently to work with a commercial real estate company based in toronto that wanted to facilitate the sale of a large parcel to a government agency And, you know, I happen to know a little bit about that. So I couldn't go all the way to Toronto, but I facilitated a discussion using Miro. Miro is essentially a collaboration space. It's a tool and that you can use it to create these what if scenarios. And so by doing so, we went through essentially three years, three types of challenges that this real estate group would have to overcome. But then what happened is I created lots of opportunity to map additional challenges. And it was only by going through what we knew, that is our assumptions, that we could then start to work through what we didn't know. And by introducing the unknowns, it radically shifted their approach to how they were going to engage the government agencies. And it is, it's introducing the unknowns, isn't it? Because introducing the unknowns just opens up a whole new thought process for your contacts and pushes them slightly outside of their comfort zone which is which is a great place for everyone to be I'm, I, I firmly believe that stepping outside of a comfort zone uh, is where most of the best results uh, are created so yeah I think it, I like the idea of exploring the unknown but but do you see how I teed it up as I went through the knowns I went through the standard process Mm. which is what allowed people to buy into the conversation that I was facilitating. I didn't just show up and say, hey, I was like, let's go through what we know. And oh, by the way, have you thought about? Yeah. Did you know? What if? Mm. And that's when we started to light the fire. What if? Hmm. Hadn't thought about that. We need to, we need to spend some more time there. You talk about teeing it up. Is there something that needs to go into teeing up conversations like this pre the actual meeting? Because so I, I'm putting myself now in the shoes of an account manager. Maybe I've been in the role for a couple of years, still relatively new to the relationship with this account. They've certainly been working with the organization that I work with a lot longer than I have. Maybe my confidence levels aren't that great. You know, I can I can hold my own in a room with them and and I'm confident enough to be in the meeting, but do I feel confident enough to guide the conversation in into that white space where we can start to explore the unknown? When when maybe their agenda was, hey, hey, David, I've invited you in today to come and update us on all the things that you're doing for us. I, d- I don't want to explore 
unknowns, I want you to tell me about all the knowns. Like, you know, how, how do we tee it up? It's a, it's a um, two-track approach. So, hi, you know, we're here to talk about um, the last 90 days. And, of course, we're going to spend some time getting to know each other. And I'd like to introduce a few new ideas per the agenda that I've sent to you the day before. Mm. Does this sound good? This is the maintaining, pardon me, managing expectations phase. Yeah. Is there anything else that you'd like to talk about? Yeah. No, this sounds great. Okay, so we are going to talk about the knowns. We've done X for you over a Y period of days, and we anticipate doing Z. And here's another tool, another concept, which I'd like to explore. Let's start to define three things. This is what I call the value matrix. Okay, this is really where you start to get into building that consensus. First, how do we define value? What are the technical terms that we're talking about here? It speaks to Mm -hmm. the glossary. Mm -hmm. Go around the room and have everybody weigh in on two or three terms and then normalize. Okay, we all agree that, you know, ice cream doesn't mean all flavors. It means chocolate, vanilla, and strawberry. That's what we mean when we say ice cream. Great. Now, how do we measure that value? This is where it gets really complicated because everyone has a different metric that they're working towards. Okay, so we have a range of metrics. Is there a single dashboard? No, probably not. Well, this is how we fit in. Okay, the final question in the value matrix is how to drive value. Now, in my opinion, too many CAMs show up wanting to, quote, drive value. With our new feature, we can drive more, you know, outcomes based on your need for X. You're you're driving before you've started to define. Without defining, you can't measure. So create a value matrix. You can do it in Miro. You can create a visual display of the different scenarios, how you define, how you measure, and then how you drive. And believe me, it will lead to conversations about the white space because you've created a common language, not just forced people into little um, pigeonholes based on their role, based on the domain, based on what you perceive they do in the organization. Because you know what? People do a lot of things that aren't related to their job title. <laughs> Absolutely, especially in today's <laughs> world uh, where everyone's trying to just chip in to, uh, to to keep things going. You talk about value there, and the definition of value. I think I love the idea of exploring that in terms of a glossary, um, and and that being a certainly one that needs clarifying from both sides, because of course we can make a whole load of assumptions in terms of what the value is that we offer. And yet, actually, value is in the eye of the beholder, for want of a, a better phrase. Value is the prospect or the customer's decision to make in terms of what, what are they, what is it they want to get from your solution? What is the problem that they're trying to solve? What is the thing that they're trying to improve? What is the, is it that they're trying to save time or money or, you know, make more profit? You know, what what is the thing that they are trying to do? And that's going to be the thing that defines value for them. So I think that's a really important point to, to have that. And there's there's two sides. There's a rational or logical value, but there's an emotional value as well. Yeah, yeah. So working with a Salesforce uh, implementation consulting group, we learned that one of their customers was actually very afraid. Mm. They were very afraid of losing access to data, independent of all the features and benefits that would provide them that access. It was understanding that fear and losing control 
that led to the increase in the next round of implementation, which we call account growth. But if we hadn't understood the emotional piece of it, we would have probably just been throwing darts at the wrong dartboard. I know that there's lots of statistics, uh, normally from Harvard or Gartner or you know a, another one of the big sort of stat houses around emotional decision making. What would you say the percentage, or would you even have a percentage, I guess, for how much of our decision making is driven from an emotional point of view? Well, you know, we use both systems, the logical and the rational, pardon me, the emotional simultaneously. Mm. But I think what happens is we use emotion to sort of guide ourselves towards a potential solution and then logic to justify that solution. Yeah. So we have to explore. And one of the things I've learned from a gentleman also in Toronto uh, named Hamish McKenzie is the very simple what, which, why method. So if we are at an impasse, I will ask you, what are the three most important things with regards to X? You have to focus on three and they'll list them. Which one of those things is the most important and why is that? So the what, which, why method can save you anywhere from an hour to a week of wasted time because it asks the customer to prioritize for you. And that's really the fourth element of what I call the white glove experience is you have to understand the priorities. And when you ask them why, they're going to articulate a bit of the emotional reason why this is important. And you can probe for emotions as well. You can say this sounds like or does this remind you of or there are other things that are related to independent of getting them to buy more of your product. Mm. So use the emotional levers once you've established what the priorities are, and then you unlock a whole world of ideas. What you're describing there as well, you know, so we are, we're, we're learning to challenge more. We're learning to, to guide more. We're learning, we need to learn as well to coach more as well with our clients. And that's, you know, for me, the, the value of, of coaching is that we are facilitating the other person, the coachee, the customer in this, in this case to come up with their own answers. And that's so powerful because when a customer owns the idea that you can then provide, then then they're they're sort of, you know, already sold on it already. The 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 decision in their head is is so much stronger. What are you noticing in terms of I guess account manager and and sales teams ability to coach clients? Is is that something that you're you're seeing people get better at or is there still a real challenge around that? Well, I think it depends on uh, who you talk to and the nature of the product or service. So if we kind of go old school, think the boiler room, you tend to get a bit more of a transactional sales culture. Yeah. What that does is it leads to what I call the blame game, where you essentially blame the customer for not choosing to you know, move forward with a new line of service or increase the relationship or even stay, stay with you. What we need to do is move away from blaming and start thinking about how to collaborate. And collaboration is is a function of all these things that I've talked about, rapport, these different scenarios, the value matrix. You are essentially building your credibility by facilitating a conversation around three things, their process and their priorities in order to achieve their outcomes. 
And you will be amazed at the wealth of knowledge and trust that's built when you use those pillars as your lens, as opposed to just saying, hey, our new feature, our new process, our new suite. People don't care about your new suite. They care about solving the problems related to their goals, their objectives, and their key metrics. Yeah. I mean, all businesses exist to solve problems, but the problems belong to the customer, not, not, not us as a solution provider. So actually, we need to spend more time in their world than we do in ours. When you use an interactive tool like Miro or, or Mural or anything like a visual diagram, I'll simply just build a workflow in Lucidchart, for example, that just says, here's a certain process. It has three, three phases. Each phase has a task, you know, putting on my project manager task. Is that right? And I'll go in knowing full well that it's not right. I don't want it to be perfect. I want to solicit their feedback. So one thing I can offer to your viewers is to create a visual diagram and use that as a source of inspiration rather than your long drawn out deck full of facts, figures, charts, and graphs, which just forces me to really retreat into a bit of a, you know, fight or flight, Mm -hmm. up, down, yes, no mode. Give me something that I can reflect back on. That's a great rapport building tool. Do you think you talk about the deck there? Do, do you think that one of the things that's come out of the COVID pandemic is almost a boredom towards slide decks? Because actually, you know, the, how many how many people have been sitting on Zoom or Teams or, you know, whatever other video platform and just watching slideshows click from slide to slide? And, you know, I know from my own experience, getting back in the room with clients and just standing there with a flip chart and a pen and drawing stuff. It's almost like that's the new slide deck, <laughs> even though it's the old one, but it's the new one. Are, 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 you, are you noticing that as well? Yeah. So what is happening is that the, the problems are so complex. It's not like a math problem with a single answer. There's multiple answers. And so we need to allow for those multiple possibilities and any kind of visual uh, aid that is not predefined. So the best sales teams are going in with multiple what-if scenarios and allowing the decision makers to evaluate those scenarios side by side and to start doing their own comparisons. So you're not providing additional products or services. You're providing a strategic analysis and you're allowing them to compare what if we do A, what if we do B, or what if we do nothing? Yeah. You're both challenging and solutions consulting at the same time by guiding, not just saying, oh, our next you know, rollout or you know, brand new feature is going to allow you to save X amount of time to make Y amount of revenue. That doesn't resonate because I haven't been able to participate in the conversation. Do you th- I'm, d- I'm just thinking about, about confidence here. And I think a lot of the time in a in a, a sales relationship, confidence comes from precedence. So, you know, I've done this before. I've said this before. I've demoed this way before. I've gone through this piece of analysis before. All of this stuff that I've got precedence for, I've done before. And it's almost become you know, not necessarily scripted in the literal sense, but certainly scripted in my head. And yet what we're describing here is that we throw the script out the window we have maybe a set of prompts or a set of cues that can guide us. But actually, we've got to be able to live present. We've got to be able to read the room. We've got to be able to, for want of a better word, here we go, say it again, pivot. <laughs> you know, whenever we can, we've got to do all of that stuff. And that might not be comfortable 
for uh, think of the QBR more like a workshop, right? So the workshop has a beginning, a middle, and an end. Mm-hmm. And you want to achieve a certain amount of interactivity. Mm-hmm. You can do it asynchronously. I can send you a product tour that suggests a couple of ideas prior to the to the workshop. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I can seek your feedback. Yeah, We can test those ideas at the beginning. My point is by increasing the interactivity, the two-way nature of things, you open up a lot more ideas, but you can have an outline, a framework, a set of ideas that you always fall back on to help you manage time, to help you basically engage everybody and not go off into some uncharted territory where you might feel uncomfortable. It takes a little bit of practice, but I've done this over and over and over again by interviewing people before we get into the open forum, before we get into the workshop and say, hey, you know, before we meet next Tuesday, I'm just curious, are these things important to you? Because I'm going to touch on them briefly. You can go through before the meeting and and reach out. Not everyone's going to get back to you, but you'll have set the table and you'll know that these ideas are going to be uh, in play and they're going to be ready to discuss them with you. We'll we'll, we'll sort of circle and, and and end there on the curiosity, and and I guess I'm curious actually with with our listeners, how many people will be thinking to themselves, you know, we we mentioned about QBRs here, we mentioned about these review meetings. Do I do them? And do they, do I do them enough? Do I do them well? Are they formulaic or are they just reactive? Do I put the thought energy in beforehand to decide what? What what if questions I'm going to ask? What ideas I'm going to bring to the table? How do I create that that white space moment? How do we collaborate? You know, what am I looking to get out? You know, am I as an account manager putting enough effort into defining my objectives uh, for a meeting? I'm curious as to how many of our listeners would would do that to that depth, and I'm curious as to how many listeners as well. I think that are perhaps thinking to themselves, this all sounds great and. It sounds also out of my depth. Maybe I don't feel ready to to do all this. I'm, you know, I rock up and I and I just say, Mister Customer, what do we need to do for you this month or this quarter? Uh, and then I react. Yeah. So- I, would ch- I would challenge that and say that we all know how to do this. Anyone who's thrown a party, uh, anyone who's made a presentation, <laughs> anyone who has gone to the pub, we are naturally attuned to want to learn from one another. What happens is we go to work and we forget. So what I'd suggest is do a five minute workshop, do it with your colleagues. Don't worry about the, how to say the perfection of it all. Mm. Uh, It does not take long to figure out a couple of what if scenarios that you can have in the back of your pocket and sprinkle them into a more formal presentation and allow them to be absorbed. Don't just race through it. I think the one thing that cams often struggle with is to present too much information in a limited amount of time. So my message is less is more. Yeah. Focus on the 20% that matters the most, create an interactive experience rather than trying to drive every single answer into somebody that may not have the bandwidth to absorb that information. Mm. Focus on the right information, focus on the relevant information, and focus on the information that's actually going to make a difference. Um, and cr- do that prior to the meeting with a little email uh, warm-up. Yeah, yeah. 
proper preparation, eh? Listen, um, it's this has been a great conversation and one that I think we could go on for for many days on. It's uh, it's definitely a rich topic. Anyone listening to this thinking, you know, Chris's ideas on on becoming more facilitative in the in the conversations and 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 you know being this sort of credible expert and really owning that space you know wh- wh- how can they find out more what, if, if people want to find out more about you and what, what you do how can they get in touch yeah so i lead a community called sales stack and it is oriented now towards uh, what we call product-led content and product tours at the top of the funnel anyone's free to join there's a lot of topics we've got about three thousand people i'm at outboundedge.com i'm very active on LinkedIn. But really, what I want to leave your audience with is, is the killer question, um, which is, how are you going to create a white glove experience for your customers? How are you going to go beyond your own comfort zone to introduce something new that makes you stand out to them and not just be another you know meeting in the diary? How are you going to create that white glove experience? Chris, thank you so much for joining us today on Camcast. It's been a pleasure talking to you. My pleasure, David. Thank you. And I look forward to listening to all the great guests that you bring on to Camcast. It's been an honor. Camcast, key account management made easy. So some reflections and questions for you. If Cam in today's world is one part strategic account manager, one part technical account manager, and one part project manager, how are you managing the different hats that you wear and ensuring that you're showing up intentionally in your customer interactions? If our credibility lies in bringing good ideas to the table and facilitating a conversation, then what ideas do you have in your toolkit and what skills do you have when it comes to facilitating great conversations? Maybe give yourself a mark out of 10 and then ask, how can I improve my score? I really like the idea of creating a glossary of terms that helps us to really understand each other's definition of the language that we'll use in our key account relationships. What better way to sanity check our understanding and build rapport? How would you rate your rapport building skills? Is rapport building a natural thing for you or are you setting about it as an intentional objective with focus and rigour? Think about your last customer meeting. How well did you work the room to include all the different personalities that were present in the conversation? What are the what-if scenarios that you're using to invite customers into a collaborative space to explore new ideas and new thinking? I'd really encourage you to think about how you can bring a conversation about unknowns into your customer meetings. Tee up in advance and invite customers to bring their ideas. How well do you understand your client's priorities? Next time you're in a customer conversation, perhaps you might want to use the what, which, why technique. What are the three most important things with regards to X, Y or Z? Which one of those things is the most important? And why is that? With problems being so complex, gone are the days with predefined slide decks to demonstrate our solution. And now is the time to work with visual tools to bring solutions to life with your customer in a collaborative conversation. Start thinking about review meetings more like workshops that require interaction. For me, there are loads of ideas there to get you going on your quest to define the role of a key account manager in today's world and your business. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of Camcast, a podcast brought to you by camguru.com, one of the UK's leading key account management consulting and training organizations. If you like this episode, we'd really appreciate you sharing it with your connections, giving us a review on your chosen podcast app and letting us know what else you'd like to hear in an upcoming episode. You can find the show notes for this episode on the website at camguru.com forward slash podcast.